welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years experience of mental health, disability and human behaviour. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. Hi and welcome to the Adversity Psychologist podcast. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo and today on a Friday I'm really excited to talk to a very interesting guest, Darren Clayton, who is a lawyer by background but so much more than that. So I'm going to get you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. So the hardest question on earth uh, <laughs> to speak to you. Um, I'm Darren Clayton. I have been a solicitor for 33 years. I still can't say the word solicitor properly. But I'm <laughs> at the end of private practice and about to uh, not retire, but move on to other projects, I hope. Um, I'm from Yorkshire. I've lived in London for all my practicing life. I'm married with two children and an elderly dog. And I suppose the reason I'm here is because I also have a companion I like to call Roger Rabbit, which is bipolar disorder. So right. we'll talk about that today, which has been a running scene all the way through my working life and much of my life generally. Um, I'm still working, and that's perhaps an interesting thing to talk about as well later on, um, because a lot of people with my condition aren't. Yes, and yeah. say I'm incredibly incredibly fortunate bipolar person because I've been able to access incredible medical teams of people who've helped me and yes, I am surrounded yeah. by people who don't have that. So maybe I could say a kind of not a shout out for them, but at least put a spotlight on people who are not fortunate along the way. Absolutely. That's what this podcast is all about. Do you mind starting us off sharing a little bit about your journey with bipolar? Because you had a later in life diagnosis, didn't you? I did. Um, as a drive-by. It's difficult to describe. Obviously, been giving some thought to it, and um, you never know when it all begins because you feel perfectly normal until you find out you're yeah. not. And I know yeah. people don't like the normal world word, and I'll apologise for that later, but. I like it. I find it helpful as just some kind of benchmark. So going back, was it school, was it university, was it work? When was it? I became aware of the fact that I was struggling. I think that's the best way to put yes. it. Yeah. In about 2007, looking back, I was struggling way before then. But that's when I became aware that I was bouncing off the floor and then bouncing into the air. And... There were two or three access points. One was 2010 when I could have done something about it and sacked the psychiatrist for suggesting I have bipolar disorder. 2013 yeah. was a difficult year, um, strange things. Again, same system. Spoke to someone. We think you might have bite. Sorry, you're fired. And then really going through the mud, 2016, yeah. 2017, yeah. November was when I kind of arrived at the door of a psychiatrist in a carrier bag um, saying that I, I've run out of everything. Yeah. Because yeah. I do something, what can I do? And uh, 
I think one of the weirdnesses of this sort of length of time, because it, it puzzles people, uh, it's sometimes unfortunate, and I'm going to flatter myself if you're quite clever, because you've got a better chance at hanging on than if you're not, because you're probably busier, you're probably in a higher job, and also you can use your brain a little bit more. Yes, yes. You can. So what you kind of, it's like a cartoon. You're like one of these characters sort of desperately rowing down the, the track on yeah. the cart with one each side of it. like they're trying to, And you're trying to get yourself in a straight line all, all the time. Then you've got as much alcohol as you can find in the world to self-medicate with. And you just basically try not to stop. Yeah. So that's, I think there are reasons, not the whole thing, why I didn't get a diagnosis before. It was a bit silly because my grandfather was in what was delightfully called an asylum uh, in 1936. Right, okay. It was then called manic depression. Yeah. Um, where other family members have shown significant signs. And as you know, it's it's, a, it's one of the mental illnesses which have a strong Yes. Yep. Inheritance to it. Um, but yeah, the, the big key date was, was this November 2017, which is my now five year, the J word journey into sitting here talking to you. Yes, yeah. And, and it's been quite, quite hard and it's taken a lot of effort. So I regret not taking those earlier opportunities. I remember the first time I actually felt, I'm going to hesitate to use the word normal, but I felt more, you know, typical is a horrible word as well, isn't it? But I, I felt more like other people feel. Yes. Yeah. Um, which was probably 2018. And I was, uh, and still am, in a, a course of therapy with the same practitioner. Mary right. Marvellous. Been a great help, They're on and off, but she was a great help. And we used to physically see each other. And one of my big problems was my head was, oh, yeah, I just got a hadron collider. So there was a lot of information constantly spinning around. Yes. I thought it was a good yeah. thing. And I had a very large, I have a very large life, which I'm trying to dismantle, which which I built. I call bipolar, by the way, I've mentioned Roger Rabbit. Yes, yeah. That's my visualisation. And Roger built a very big life, which we can come on to. And I used to talk about underground car parks with water on the floor and electric cables swinging through the, the water and arcing. And all these were the sort of things I used to talk about. And kind of one day it all went quiet. Not not well, but but quiet. Yes. And uh, can I can I swear a little bit, but not really badly? <laughs> you can indeed. <laughs> Exactly. So I remember climbing four flights of stairs and I was asked, how are you? And I went, you bastards, you've all felt like this all along. Yeah. I've never felt like this with like an idea. Yes. Yeah. And uh, that was quite a shock to me. And that was when you look back, the recap on your life. Yeah. I'm wondering what you've missed. And there are sections, again, I'll happily come on to where I actually can't remember. I mean, I don't remember 2019, really. But that was the year I was in hospital and came out of hospital. Okay. Um, and I, I kind of didn't participate 
at an ordinary level in an awful lot of family things because I wasn't capable. So yeah. bringing up the children, my wife's Louise really probably struggled a bit because I wasn't around enough. Yes. I wasn't around yeah, yeah. Stuff. And uh, down the pub with everyone, entertaining everyone. And she was left without, you're going on holidays, this is a big thing. I, I can't do holidays. I've, I've never done a holiday without having an episode. Right, yeah. So certain kind of triggers or setting conditions. Yeah, you, which you guard against. Yeah, right? yeah. So there's a lot looking back up you, you don't understand. There's a lot looking back you now think, that's a real shame. I can't get that back. Yeah. Um. But I have learned, really, there's no point going there. Yeah. I mean, I'm just pleased I'm still here. And yes. certainly I'm here. Yeah in this beautiful form you know here before you <laughs> like being able to live a value laden life but it sounds like at times then that, that kind of inner critic rocks up with the what have i missed what have, what should i have done and trying to live life with that showing up is that part of what roger rabbit i love that kind of metaphor that character does he sometimes you know add to that inner critic with how you should be doing things how you I think the things I regret are all caused by yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The depressive side, which obviously you didn't enjoy. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's worth talking about itself because people like Roger and they don't like – I call it rhubarb. My right. visualisation of depression is rhubarb, which uh, the leaves are poisonous if you eat them and if you knew that, and it's quite yes. dense. Yeah. Yeah. Very quickly, very, very quickly. In fact, you can hear it growing. I'm from the rhubarb triangle. They grow rhubarb. Wow. <laughs> so with the rhubarb stuff, um, it's incredibly different, of course, and can be more enjoyable, which sounds really weird. And I'll come back, but I'll just put a marker down. It's enjoyable because you feel profound. Yes. And yeah. you, you feel everything very deeply. With Rogers, actually quite exciting, but it's also exhausting. Yeah, yeah. And you kind of are aware sometimes of you trashing stuff i mean i'll, I'll give you some sort of examples i thankfully don't have any life-threatening roger rabbit examples but you know i sort of sit here today and you think how did i end up with five properties it would have been so nice to have one and no mortgage yeah yeah so why did i used to have 13 telephone numbers 23 clubs um all of these I was coping with. It was plates on a stick and Roger was running around shaking the stick. Yes. Yeah. And, I, you know, I talk about medication as beings. Like the, the gravity came on. All the plates crashed to the floor. Yes. So there's this very big world Roger built. Probably, I don't think he offended people, but he definitely monopolized. Okay. Every yeah. Louisa yeah. said the other day, um, how embarrassed she used to be at dinner parties because I'd just kind of take over the dinner party. And I don't think being offensive, but just dominate. Okay, yeah. Embarrassing for her. When kind of Roger's present. Roger's present, yeah. And yeah, yeah. He's, he, I think Roger's good fun. I mean, if you talk to my work colleagues around it, I think they enjoyed it, but it wasn't good for me. Yeah. And you kind of run out of energy. You got loads and loads and loads and loads and loads, and then one day everything just crashes because it's not. You just burns everything yeah. you got. Yeah. 
And Rogers, where people do over shopping, and as you know, shopping's a big, big one. And again, be careful I put this, but if you have a very limited income, it could be extremely damaging. Yes. 40 grand credit card bills. You don't notice it as much if you've got quite high income because it's not really impacting upon what everyone else does. Yes. But yeah. the, you know, you walk into a car showroom and drive one out. Or you, you know, again, I, mean, I bought property. I, I can buy a property with Roger on in four to six weeks from start to finish. Wow. Because he's on everyone, you know. And you don't sleep as much. I mean, I've never done the whole I don't sleep at all thing, which happens to some bipolar people. But, you know, you're one o'clock in the morning and you're talking ten to the dozen and then current lady Clayton will say I've had enough. Yes, yeah. Uh, so I think I'm fortunate that he hasn't done any critical damage, but I'm struggling now to maintain everything he did. Yes. And I don't have the energy for it. Now I'm, I've lost my superpowers a bit. If you had my one or two of my colleagues who've been close to this over years, yeah. They say the weird thing is he makes incredibly rapid decisions with Roger Rabbit Head, but somehow makes quite good ones. Yeah, yeah. And and so, yeah, I think my tastes in things are fairly limited, so I wasn't out really buying Ferraris, you know, because that's what people tend to do. But looking back, yeah, I don't usually regret those things, but I wish he kept it simpler. Yes. I don't have the concentration yeah. either to to do things. So in terms of working, so I come back to it, yeah, my colleagues have been great. I didn't listen to them much. I mean, I came out of uh, the psychiatric hospital in May-ish 2019, and they all said to the partners, why don't you take you know the rest of the year off? Yeah. And yeah. I went, well, oh, I'm fine. I'm fine again because I like to drag myself over broken glass. And I only did it at the beginning of 2020 when there was even more pressure put on me. And it was a good thing they did. But, of course, it was then COVID. Yes. Yeah. And that impact of the pandemic. So then suddenly you got COVID, which impacted everybody. And, and again, you're going to have to shut me down if I talk too much. But it, the whole thing of mental health, of course, was discovered by television in about May 2020. They'd never heard of it before. And then people like Lorraine couldn't stop saying mental health. Yes. And it's health, mental health, mental health. And it seems to me that was a good thing, except yeah. that actually yeah. explained what they meant very well. And so there are a lot of people, I think, who were persuaded in lockdown that they had a mental illness when they were feeling the effects of lockdown. Yeah, it's a really good point, yeah. And it was really hard because if I I thought at that stage I got my bipolar card, see, so I can actually say stuff and people go, oh, we must listen to Darren because he's kind of got a card there to play. you got no chance of putting any information out there. So that's why I was very excited about doing this. Yes. Because yeah. I can see these things and people might listen to it. Yeah. But there's no way of writing it because if you write on an Instagram page, there's like a sort of mafia running the whole thing, so you will receive – give you a good example. 
the perennial, do you have a condition or are you it? Yes. If I put an Instagram, I am bipolar, I guarantee I would have 50 people by the end of the day say, no, you don't, you have it. You are not your illness. And part of me thinks, then I get to choose what I say because it's kind of me. <laughs> and the other thing I think with, with bipolar, probably more than almost any other condition, it is kind of hardwired. You know, this this is chronic. It ain't going to go away. Yes. Yeah. You know, if it's the one thing you can say, I am. So I now declare to your listeners publicly, I say I am. And I don't have a problem with it. Yeah. I, you know, that, you know, that is that is so much a part of me because it it doesn't go away and even when medicated it, it and I know it's something you wanted to talk about which is how things are in your daily life yes yeah it's not a sort of off switch I, I had some colleagues who thought you took your meds and you kind of all right yeah tick and a box kind of philosophy yeah and, and everything's fine but somewhere along the line in the next five or six years, um, an event would happen, which would trigger you. And then yeah. you'd be your dream. And this is how this is. And there might be people out there who you're like that. I don't know if you see many. I, I haven't counted any. Um, I think the, the longest I know people go without some sort of episode is about six to nine months. Yes. This is the stuff that's really important for people to hear, just education around what bipolar is, how it can present, the fact it can be very different person to person. And I think that's important to hear. Yeah, I think people do assume it's a one-size-fit-all. I mean, there are yes, so people yeah. with, <laughs> and the comorbidity with, with alcohol is very common, as you know. Yes, um, yes. I gave up drinking four years ago. I was a huge drinker. It didn't cause me any problems because – I knew it was so important, so it was fine. Yes. Boring. Yeah. But I did start smoking again. Yeah. Those kind of things that are part of the beast. And my psychiatrist said, look, you've given up so many things. I'm just going to ignore it for now. <laughs> if you have a room full of bipolars, you, you will see some commonality. But you're quite right. It presents very differently. And some of that is the speed. Yes. That is how you experience things. Some of it is the blend between highs and lows. Yes, um, yes. Do you become manic or do you become hypermanic? And to people listening, mania is the more sort of psychoses, lost touch with reality sense. I've got a friend who does that. It's interesting. Hypermania is the good stuff. No, that's Roger, Roger Rabbit. Roger Rabbit is the end of hypermania, just tiptoeing in with his hat and cane to mania. You can get 25,000 things done in a day on that one. Then you've got yes. a band of, I'm going to call it normality, sorry. And then you're going to get a band of depression which sinks right down. The kind of rhubarb. The rhubarb and, stuff. Yes. And the, the, I mean, the rhubarb stuff is the stuff people want to talk about when it comes to themselves because they're more likely to feel depressed than they are to feel manic. And I think all depression is horrible. It's debilitating and you see that. And even if it's an afternoon, yes. I do yes. feel for people. And we are all going to encounter it, certainly grief, which is its own thing. Yeah. Just to kind of get on my feet, ironically. Yeah. And now that seems a long way away. But um, the things do come around. I I didn't finish saying about the cycle. I I tend to rapid cycle. 
So I get some sort of kick every month. Yeah. One way or the other. I was just going to say for our listeners, the benefit of them, could you explain a little bit about what a rapid or what rapid cycling is? Yeah. It's a weird concept, isn't it? Um, I mentioned earlier that people will have uh, a period of time between episodes. Yes. And that we must come on to it sometimes when it's kind of an episode and not because they're the daily problems people can have. But the distance between them can vary. And over time, it may vary anyway. And hopefully, the older you get, the further apart things get. But for some people, they cycle more quickly between up and down or down. There's no fucking erratic tie prize. It could be up, down, up, down. It could be down, 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 up. Yeah. And up, down, down, down. And these things can be really close together. I mean, ultra rapid cycling is kind of in the same day. Um, I tend to be in the same month, which would be in the rapid cycling club. I've had a good run. I'm in week four. So here we're going, we're going well, and I'm, I'm, I'm confident I can get another week. And within that time frame, there will be, what's this called, a kick. They don't all have the same size to them, but that's the rapid cycling. It's one of these people don't know. And I mentioned things which we call episodes, which, well, these are kind of a full-blown, you're in it, and you, you can't get out of it, you're in it. That's, that's what's occurring in your mind. Yes, yeah. And so yes, Beth Hart, the singer, talks about the war in your mind, which is kind of very much on the rhubarb side. Um, but there is, there's the day-to-day stuff as well. So you wake up in the morning, you run the systems check. Yeah, okay. Looking like, a, like an ordinary day today. Yeah, so that's kind of checking in with yourself, how you feel, what your thoughts are doing. Good advice for anyone. Um, you then go out of the building, but yeah. you, you do a risk assessment, maybe. Not everyone yeah. does this. You don't necessarily do it every day, but there's a risk assessment. Yes, yeah. And I tend to suffer from sensory overload. Right, okay. So I carry sunglasses, so people can abuse me in shopping malls and things. So I, I can't do shopping malls and at one or two airports and things because it's just a billion people. So I wear the sunglasses and things. So that's my, you know, my plan, relapse management or whatever you guys call it. Yeah. So it's just but, managing for also just for the benefit of the listeners. Sensory overload is things in, in terms of auditory, visual, you know, being in close proximity people, you know, things like shopping centres, airports, sometimes strip lights, noises, it's all too much. Um, so being able to recognise your own threshold of what, leads you to be overstimulated or to find things and so wearing the sunglasses presumably just limits light levels helps you to kind of focus on yourself does it rather than everything around you it does i mean i remember uh, now we're talking one of the earliest times i knew i had a major problem was uh shopping and at harrods Yes, gosh, uh, yes. <laughs> this is in the early 2000s. I mean, just can't get out. I have to get out yeah. of the room. Yeah. But it does. You've got, the, you've got this plan, which is you take the sunglasses. You just have to accept you carry the sunglasses. And I don't even explain to people now. And you yourself, sorry, I'm wearing the sunglasses. I've got an eye condition or something. Now I just sit there and style it out, really. But uh, underground tube stations sometimes... No, no, I've spent a lot of money on taxi cabs over the years. Yes. There's only way to get yeah. around. 
Thank you to the Mayor of London for making that almost impossible. Um, so, yeah, you, you've got the things where you plan, but you've also got things just change, you know, when you're not. There's nothing you can do. You're sort of walking along and then chemically, and for those listening, I mean, it is kind of a chemical problem. Yes. Um, things just change or you stressed out about something. Stress is a big trigger. Yes. Yeah. Episode or an illness problem. Yeah. It's also very difficult when you're with people because if they're in the know, they go, Oh, do you need to leave? And the answer should be yes, but you don't, do you? You go, No, I'll be fine, I'll be fine. Just, uh, <laughs> so that's the other thing is trying to be bold when you shouldn't be as well. And that goes back to the late diagnosis. It's actually braver to admit it. Anyone listening is braver to admit it than to just cope quietly in the background, which is a terrible yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you've got to worry about those things as well. Um, and there are pressures. Uh, my wife likes to go on holiday. I can't deal with them. I feel is awful. that sensory or is it okay to ask? Are there other reasons that holidays are difficult as well as kind of the airports, the sensory issues? It, it's a sensory issue. Um and it's an experience issue because I've never enjoyed a holiday. Right. Yeah. So I panic because I think I've always been horrible to be on holiday with. Okay. So there's, again, we come back to that kind of past, holding on to memories, a bit of guilt perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. But the airport, I overthink airports anyway. I mean, the, the very high speed problem with airports. Well, the real problem is sensory overload times a billion. Right. Yes. But then yeah. overthinking it. I mean, you know, why am I checking in online and now I'm checking in at the airport and now I'm in a queue and I can't queue um, because I find it too stressful. Maybe getting a bit a psychologist hooked with that. So you might plan just in case, no, not do things. I'm just really interested in the kind of quality of life element that you could. It's really logical to say maybe I won't plan things just in case, but what does that do for quality of life? And then the guilt monster that shows up, that inner critic. Yeah. It's a lot to manage, isn't it? It's difficult because you're trying to map out how other people's lives are as well. I think the yes, uh, yeah, with mental health conditions, can't forget that the people who live with them are actually having a rotten time as well, and they're probably at least more confused than you are. Um, I find it easier to talk to people I don't know than I do talk to my family. Yes, do you know why that is? Is that all right to ask? Do you have any theories on that? I don't. I think part of it is the the need to feel that you're contributing to the family, you're not letting people down, you're up to your share right. everything. Yeah. Yeah. Don't like being pitied. So you don't want any of that. Yeah. And, yeah. and also historically I've closed doors whenever I've said anything. So I like okay. I like motorbikes. I ride motorbikes a lot. Right. And I used to like driving cars. But I for some reason I can still ride motorbikes, but I can't drive cars very well. Okay. So I was downscaling my car from like sports car to seven-year-old Citroen, which I love, by the way. But letting that gene out of the bottle means that um, Louise doesn't like me driving anywhere right. because she knows I've told her I struggle to drive. Yes, yeah. As far as I've gone across the roundabouts, no, I haven't. But um, so you, you're always wondering what, if I admit to this, yeah. what's going to get turned off? Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm lucky I've got the, the flat in London, so I come here as a bit of fortress of solitude as well. 
But I, I'm in her bad books because I didn't kind of tell her about it for quite a while. So I saw the psychiatrist in November 2017. I didn't tell her till summer the following year. Okay. That's good. Anyone listening again, that's a really bad idea. And uh, it was only because she found some meds falling out of my trans pocket. I mean, the funny thing was that <laughs> actually she found some diazepam, which was the least of it um, at the time, because I didn't want to be that guy. Right. I was going to say that. What For you, if you're comfortable sharing... What was the kind of all right with any human behaviour? What's the what's the function of not sharing? What did it do for you? What did you need at the time, perhaps, in terms of not sharing? I think with both of them, I didn't. With Louise, is not very um, comfortable with these kind of issues. Okay, she's very much a snap out of it kind of person. She would right. accept that she was okay. on the line, and that can actually be very handy. There are times when you need someone to say that to you. But not in 2017. Um, yeah, so it sounds weird to people. I mean, Louise is now fully... But I didn't tell my business partners. I had a very funny phone call to make, um, looking back on it. So this was... Uh, it was uh, spring 2019. So this is when I, I was welcomed into the hospital. And uh, you're wondering why you're there. And you, you're in, and so I'm, I'm, I'm conscious enough, trying to make it all work, that it's a bank holiday weekend. Yes. And how long are we going to be here? And they all oh, just for the weekend. Yeah, right. So um, I don't think I'm going to go home on Monday. <laughs> so not going home on Monday. So I was told, um, you know, you might be here for a few months. It's always another week, perhaps another week. Right. So I, um, I had to make a phone call to my other founder partner. And I thought, well, I'll give him the remember thing, I'll give him the weekend because it's a bank holiday and he'll be out with his family and then I'll kind of give him a ring. And it was difficult because the room had silver foil kind of on the inside so it reflected for other people so the phone didn't work well. But I remember the phone, phone call. I said, oh, hi, Pete, how are you? Oh, Darren. Oh, great. How did your weekend go? I had a very nice time. Went to Alton Towers. Oh, that's lovely, lovely. Where are you? Oh, I'm in the Nightingale Psychiatric Hospital in Marylebone. Right. Okay. I was going to say, just when you're also dealing with all the logistics, how you manage work, as well as how you tell people, and, and not forgetting as well the autonomy you might want to have and the control over when you share, how you share, if you share. I imagine that's quite difficult. Yeah, it, it is. When you're looking for anything at the beginning, well, you've got any control over it. Well, yes. A yeah. of decency to cover yourself, you know, with. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that in it. Um, I always had the common sense to absent myself from work matters, yeah. which would have been an issue. Because, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think probably the other thing I should mention at this moment in time, you know, these, this is a mood disorder. Yeah. It affects your behaviour because your mood affects your behaviour. So Roger Rabbit buys five coffee machines on the same day actual example small example but that's what he does but um you're not kind of mad in the sense of you do stuff like the mad hatter's tea party you know that's not how it manifests 
But actually, my view is that there's no one normal. We know that. And normality is not a place. So we might as well use the construct. And I use it as a horizon. Yeah. Uh, something to just try when you don't know where the hell you are. I mean, to use my uh, underwater example, you know, you've got the bubbles to follow to the surface. I call normal a surface. I mean, it's not an even surface. Yes. Yeah. I like that metaphor. I really do. We'll have that one. And <laughs> you know, medication becomes essential if you're diagnosed for most people. I think the next thing is being brave enough to give up stuff. Yes. I love drinking. I find life very boring now because Coca-Cola ain't going to yeah. cut it. Because looking it, at the function of those things, what that alcohol did, and I guess that's part of, you know, another kind of therapeutic journey is looking at some of those behaviours. What is what is the function of alcohol? You know, what does it do to help you manage cope? Yeah. And that'll be part of the journey of being able to abstain from those things is understanding what it did for you and what the journey will be like. The other thing about the alcohol thing is it's like a sine wave you used to get on the oscilloscope. And over years and years and years, I think I managed 20 years, I'd say, I thought it was helping me. Yeah. But I needed progressively more alcohol to actually have the same impact. And I remember... Around the time I went to see my psychiatrist for the first time, I'd moved on to dark rum, which was the only thing that seemed to be now cutting it in terms yes. of Yes, yeah. And I was with a colleague having a Viennese coffee at 11 o'clock in the morning, and I got my hip flask out and chucked a little bit of rum in there. And then the eyebrow went up and went... <laughs> And this was someone who'd been telling me for a while, you need to get some help, by the way. Right. Okay. A lot of those people. Yeah. Yeah. I saw my old secretary, uh, well, she's not old, but she was with me for a long time. And she said, remember 2003, I used to say, who's looking after your head? So I think, again, I think people think if you move in to see someone, you're you're standing now on the, the escalator. And you can't go back down now. Now you're drawn up into Darren's lithium, Darren's not drinking, and you know all of these kind of plans you're making all the time as to what you think you can and can't do. And it's not like that. I think the worst thing you do is to not get on the escalator. Yeah. And, yeah. and have a look. And the other thing is if people have got some money, um, not lots, and they're waiting, 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 waiting on the NHS. I said, look, have you got like 500 pounds? Yeah. Why don't you spend that on a couple or whatever of sessions with someone to try and bottom out what you're dealing with here at least? Yeah. Yeah. Knowing what options are available is really important. It comes back to that, you know, informed choices about our care and hopefully adding to that autonomy in a situation where sometimes we don't have a lot of control. So it's looking at where we do have control. Yeah. And what you're reading, who you're seeing, knowing what your choices are is a really important part of that, isn't it? It is also the the noise. We talked about noise earlier, but the this is for everybody. I mean, we all know you put music on. And there's like no, there's no reason for music except the fact that human beings like it. I mean, it's not that it doesn't have any other function. And yeah, so if I was to play you Marilyn Manson and then I was going to play you Dido, 
Yeah, there's two very different reactions. Yes. <laughs> and people, I, I think some people don't use music as much as people with mental health conditions do. But to an extent, we all use it to try and manipulate the mood. Yeah. And yeah. one thing I'd say again to someone with a health condition is be aware of that because I haven't confessed to one thing, which is when you tip one way or the other, you normally feed it. You, you, That's you get... interesting. Yes. Yeah. Now, so things probably... like your music choice, for example, yeah. then. Yeah. So I, mean, I remember being in France on my own on a on a motorcycle trip, but it was the end of it when I was on my own, everyone else had gone. And uh, and just flipping completely onto the dark side of the force. And my intention was to drink the house. Right. So, and I did it to Marilyn Manson's th- third day of the seven-day binge. And you, it was just, you fed it. You were so far into it, you fed it. And it can go the other way. Yeah. And I think people are going to be very alive to that. I mean, the, the one I haven't really given enough of a big up to Louise, who is fundamental to where I am. I'm not just saying that because she should say that because my wife and everything, but she she has been a very different support to other people. Yeah. She's kind of still there, which is good of her. And um, she does say, why, why are you playing into her news? And getting annoyed. Why are you listening to LBC? And getting annoyed. Why are you reading newspapers? And getting annoyed. And you realise you're like in a cycle of something. Yes, yeah. And I think everyone needs to do this sometimes, just turn all the noise off. It comes down to this data, isn't it? Data input that can really affect how you think and how you feel. Yeah. I think Bipolar UK's pages are helpful. And in terms of Bipolar UK would give a lot of support maybe even on the telephone or through a group. Yeah. I think this is the stuff really useful for people to know, isn't it? It's helping so far people maybe understand what bipolar is and what it isn't, trying to dispel some of those myths or lack of understanding, looking at what works and doesn't work in terms of everyday support yeah. mechanisms not just things for bipolar actually a lot of what you've talked about in the last few minutes is it could, we could apply to any of us at the moment in this world where there's a lot of um changing news stories we're still you know coming and recovering from the pandemic there's, there's a lot on now one of the things that i know about you is that you're a worldly wise ambassador aren't you i am i <laughs> courtesy of, of nick Yes, um, yeah. So for the benefit of listeners, Nick Inge was on an episode in series one and he um, developed the Speak Up app. Um, so if people want to, they can scroll back and listen to the episode to find out a bit more about who Nick is. A group of people. And, yeah. Uh, I, I feel embarrassed to associate with them because, uh, you know, they are core to it. They have a number of ambassadors who are prepared to help young people. Uh, yes, yeah. To, to do stuff that you've done. I, yeah, I thought, yeah. you know, one of the greatest things was when Nick's daughter did one, which was about backpacking. Yeah. And young kids learning what to take, what not to take, what insurances they need. Uh, I'm sort of put forward as a mental health ambassador or a couple right. of people. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, the others tend to focus more on well-being, um, which is, I think, probably the most important thing for most people is to being aware that you do have a mind as well and that you need to feed it. Yes, exactly. Absolutely. Uh, That's the most critical thing. I can understand there, um, 
in the Odyssey section. <laughs> and what what I would really like to talk about is two things. Um, one of them, I have to be very careful. I didn't know. I'd like to take, to go to a skill and say to people, "Look, this is my condition. I had this as long as I can remember, and it's become very bad." But despite this condition, I've had a really successful career. And yeah. if you yeah. feel that this has meant something to you, or you can still have a, a really good career, yes. yeah. you can have a good life. I mean, it's going to be different to the one you might write down on paper, but you can have a good life. Yes. And they're the sort of things I put myself out there to say. I think some of the skills and so on, finding it hard to be brave perhaps to do that. I don't know, Nick, if you're now listening. You would tell me that's nonsense and they're all keen. <laughs> We're going to ask him now. <laughs> I think um, it's something which doesn't have a, as ready an audience, but so I feel bad associating too much with that cause because I haven't been able to yet add anything. But it is very, very important, the work they do. Yes, absolutely. Things. I mean, anything they could want someone to talk about. Some people question your diagnosis. Some people want to talk too much about it. So, if someone has got the condition, yeah, you you know you need to be a little bit aware that how open you are will change over time. Well, I'm pretty open about it, and that's my biggest thing I can do. Yeah, is talk yeah. about people and educate them because I'm I'm beyond um, being offended by people's reactions. Yeah. But I love that you added in there, it's the educating, because I'd love people to take away from today as well, that it is absolutely not okay to make those assumptions and to verbalise them. You know, it is not appropriate to be saying, this is what somebody with bipolar does, making jokes about it, making light of it. It's. I think it's really important that we start to tackle how we approach. I know it can be really difficult with anybody who has any difficult situation going on. Sometimes we don't know how to support them, but what we can do is ask them what they want and and what's not helpful. I'm such a big advocate of asking people, what do you need? What's not helpful? Is there anything I can do? How would you like me to talk about this? Is there a way you'd like me to explain it? That's, you know, the beginnings of those conversations. We've run out of time for today, but I always ask my little signature move is if there was one little golden nugget, one adversity takeaway that you could give our listeners. You've given us so much already. It's been fantastic. What would that be? There is always an end to every problem. Right. You never give up. Don't stop fighting. Yes. And don't cry over what you can't have. Yeah. Enjoy yeah. What you- That's kind of the mindset I try and adopt. Yeah. That's been really powerful for me today, actually, when you said about how often that kind of inner critic shows up with the kind of guilt and I should have done. And um, and, and that can sometimes leave us quite stuck, can't it? But I also love the fact that you'd said, you know, valued living. There are, you know, concentrating on the who, what, when, where that really matters to you. And you might need to drag along Roger some days. You might need to be dragging <laughs> handfuls of rhubarb with their leaves but that you still got that trajectory, which I think is so, so important. If people want to find out more, and I'm sure they will do, where can they find you? I will put these in the show notes as well so people can click on the links. I'm I'm on the verge of publishing a little book like everyone Okay, that's Um, exciting. Tell you more when it happens than when it does. Yeah, please do, and then we'll add it in. It's called the Sadness Condenser and Other Domestic Appliances. And it's 
it's not so much funny. It's a great it's title. It's quite a good title, isn't it? It's really great. And the title reverses one of your podcasts because you talked about the Queen and how it affected people absorbing that grief. And this is something about uh, taking the grief away from you. Yeah. So I'm hoping yeah. to publish that in the next few weeks. So I'll let you know. Yeah, I it's exciting. My Instagram page. I did an Instagram page for two years, and I, I found it a really horrible experience. I didn't like the contributions you received back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? What I'm thinking as well is because obviously these episodes are pre-recorded is that we will, your book may well be out by the time this podcast episode is out. So we will make sure that we edit in the links yeah. to the book um, yeah. and that we put that on social media as, as well, yeah. which I think is really important. But Darren, thank you so much. It's been absolutely great. Just, I could literally, I could just, not press stop on this recording could talk to you all day um it's been wonderful and and what is really lovely that this podcast episode came off the back of the speak up app episode that i did and that's what i love i'm about making connections and nick and mark parrin they recommended you and i've reached out to you and you said yes and that's what this for me is all about i want to hear people's stories and i wouldn't have come across you if i didn't know them and that's what i love the kind of snowball effect it's fantastic so thank you so much for coming on it's been a pleasure love to speak to you speak again bye-bye now thank you for listening to this episode of the adversity psychologist podcast it's so lovely to have you here i'm dr tara quintrillo and you can find me at drtara.co.uk you'll see everything i'm up to free resources my media work and my new covid recovery clinic as well remember to please rate and review my podcast it really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us the adversity psychologist podcast helping you one step at a time.